Hey everybody, welcome to Therapy for Humans, the podcast where if you're not careful, you might just pick up some tips on how to survive as a more or less psychologically intact human in the modern world. My name is Rowan, and I'll be your host. Welcome back, episode 10. Look at us, we made it to double digits. A few of you let me know that you noticed that there was no podcast last week. That's true. Nice to be missed. Appreciated the comments. I did indeed skip last week because I haven't been getting as much content as I need for a weekly podcast, so I may move to every other week. Um, it would help me out if you could send me questions by email at rowan at therapyforhumanspodcast.com or give me a call and leave a message. Remember, this is a voicemail only line, so don't get nervous about anybody picking up. And the number is one eight four four durango That's one eight four four three eight seven two six four six. So all that having been said, I will be putting out a podcast next week, actually, because I have a special guest. Her name is Annie LaCroix, and she is a massage therapist and owner of Columbia River Institute of Massage Therapy in the great state of Washington. She holds a master's degree in human nutrition and functional medicine, and she's just an all-around amazing human. You're going to love hearing from her, and I'm going to love talking to her. So that'll be next week. We'll be talking about self-sabotage, the imposter syndrome, the impact that taking time to be still can have on our productivity, and how the stories we tell ourselves can affect pretty much everything in our lives. So be sure to tune in for that next week. All right. Well, it's officially the holidays. And uh, how are you doing? Has your alcohol, weed, and or sugar intake ramped up? That's a hell yes for us over here. It's also just a hard time for a lot of folks, as evidenced by the influx of calls from clients I haven't seen in a while, as well as the state of some of my regulars that have been showing up. So I'd be curious to hear how you take care of yourself around this time of year. Do you exercise more? Do you socialize less? Do you hide from family and friends? Do you stock up on booze in anticipation of sharing it with all of your people and then end up drinking it all alone while binge-watching old episodes of Friends? I'm not going to judge you. But I would invite you to ask yourself one question, and you don't ever need to share the answer with anyone. The question is, is whatever you're doing making you feel better? Not just in that moment, that's pretty easy, but the next day and through the coming weeks, are the choices you're making in alignment with what you want for yourself long term? So I'll just leave that right there for you. Okay, we have an email come in. They said, hi, Rowan, I recently learned about a family member of a good friend that died, and I haven't heard directly from them, but I'm not sure it would be appropriate for me to contact them. Uh, I do want to support them. How should I proceed? Well, thanks for your email. I touched on this in previous podcasts. It can be hard to know what to do when a friend is grieving, or more accurately, I think it's easy to second guess ourselves. We don't want to intrude. We don't want to say the wrong thing. We don't want to insert ourselves where we may not be wanted. If you listen to that voice saying those things, it sounds pretty insecure, doesn't it? It sounds like we're thinking that we're not important enough to them to matter much. Or even worse, that our presence in their time of grief will actually make their experience worse. Stop minimizing yourself. You're not doing anyone any favors by this. There are a million ways that you can let those people know that you are there for them without being overly imposing. One thing I hear constantly from people who are grieving is that they feel isolated, almost marked in some way, and that after that first week or two, people tend to avoid them. 
We suck at grief in our culture, and we suck even more at supporting those who are grieving. So reach out to your friend. Let them know you're thinking about them. Ask them how they're doing. And then do something for them. Cook them a meal and drop it off. That way you're not inserting yourself into their thing. You're just dropping food off. And then tell them that you'd love to take them out when they feel up to it. Get them a gift certificate for a massage or some other kind of self-care thing that you know they would like. Maybe even get two and, and you go with them. Hire someone to clean their house every other week for a couple of months. Mow their lawn, shovel their driveway. Ask yourself what you would want and then do that thing. Don't just ask if they need anything because most people will say no because they too are suffering from this insane crisis of self-esteem. They don't want to impose. They don't want to put you out. They feel so inadequate as an important part of your life that they will turn down things that they desperately need. So don't ask, just do. But do it in a way that won't feel like too much to them. It can be a delicate dance, but don't let that scare you off. Their lives just got shattered. They do need your support, so talk to them. Find your way through this together. And I know that they will thank you for it. Okay, our next email uh, says, I struggle with anxiety, and I've been thinking about getting a dog. Would this help? And what are the rules around this? Well, it sounds like you're using it, you're asking a couple different things. So let me start with a short rant about therapy dogs versus service animals. And if you're one of those folks who sent away online for an official looking vest and ID tag for your poorly trained dog so you can legally take it anywhere you want, then you are part of the problem and you will not be happy with anything else I have to say today. So you might want to stop right here. Service dogs are protected by the Americans with Disabilities Act. They can go anywhere. They are immaculately trained and perform very specific tasks for their owners. Therapy dogs or emotional support animals are not the same thing. There is no specific training required for an emotional support animal, except in very rare cases where dogs are trained for specific psychological needs, but that's almost never the case when we're talking about emotional support animals. Let me stop here for a minute and say that I am a dog person. I love dogs. I love big dogs and little dogs, especially big dogs. I love short dogs and tall dogs, fat dogs, skinny dogs. I love them all. I am a dog person. Part of me would love to live in a world where everyone brought their dogs everywhere, except that just like people, some dogs are assholes. My dog, in fact, is an asshole, or she has assholian moments. She hates little kids. Just this past weekend, she saw someone who was visiting a neighbor walking with their, like, three-year-old kid at the head of our driveway. She went right up there, hackles up, head down, stalking that little human. And the dad was completely useless. He was I could hear him from the house, and he was, like, telling the kid, it's okay, you're fine, don't worry about it, it's fine. But he should have worried about it. I was worried about it. My dog has never bitten anyone, but she seems to get some satisfaction out of scaring the shit out of little kids. I wish dad had picked up the damn kid. Instead, he kept saying how fine everything was, so I was left... No choice but to yell at my dog like a total freaking lunatic until she came back. And there's no way that that guy thought, hmm, I bet that gentleman is a therapist. Anyway, enough about my ill-tempered beast. The point is, some dogs just can't be trusted, and some dogs can. True service dogs can always be trusted to do their jobs. Your emotional support animal cannot, which is why you should not be allowed to take them into every damn place you go. Okay, so now that I've made myself abundantly clear on that, let me just talk about how helpful pets can be for people who struggle with anxiety. They can help a lot. Just stroking an animal's fur lowers our blood pressure. That's a fact. You can Google it. Therapy dogs 
brought into nursing homes and hospitals are awesome, and the health benefits are unmistakable. So if you suffer from anxiety that hits you at home, and if you're allowed to have a dog in your home, and if you have the time and the funds to adequately care for that dog, then you should get one. If you want a dog to help with your anxiety when you're out and about, then you should think seriously about this. When you're in public with your dog, it's your job to take care of them and keep, and keep them safe. If you want it the other way around, then you may not get the results you're looking for. Not all shop owners will want your dog in their businesses, which can lead to confrontation, which will probably make your anxiety worse. Other dogs you meet may want to kill your new friend, which may also increase your anxiety. So think carefully about the environments where you feel like you need support and go from there. If you decide to get a dog, go to the Humane Society, spend some time with a few different dogs, take them for walks, pay attention to how your anxiety reactions are behaving with different dogs, and then pick the one that helps you just chill out the most. And then take them home and enjoy your new companion. Just don't bring them to the grocery store. Okay, so this is our last email of the episode, and they say, Hi, Rowan, I think my boss might be a narcissist. He's constantly telling everyone all the things they are doing wrong, even if he told us to do those things. He never accepts any blame for anything, and he seems completely oblivious to what an asshole he is. How do I deal with this? Well, so the term narcissist gets thrown around a lot since Trump got elected. Um, sometimes it fits, sometimes it doesn't. We do need to be careful with these terms because they do refer to psychological disorders, and we want to have some compassion around those who are truly affected by them. That having been said, dealing with someone who either actually has a personality disorder of this type or who has indicators in that direction can be very difficult. In this case, uh, because it's your boss, he's in a position of authority and power, which makes his behavior even more problematic. So in general, people like this are used to getting their own way. Most of us develop our ways of interacting with others through a process of trial and error, and eventually we go with what gets us the desired outcome. Uh, this is one reason why middle school and middle schoolers in particular are such a pain in the ass. They're figuring it all out. It's not always pretty. People with true personality disorders don't hook into this learning by outcome scenario. They do their thing the way they do it, and if they get consistently negative feedback and poor outcomes... They just think everyone else is either out to get them or a complete idiot, and they just keep doing what they're doing. So this is why it's considered a psychological disorder. So whether or not those folks ever actually come to terms with their disorder often has a lot to do with how successful, either socially or financially or both, that they end up being. So for instance, let's assume that Trump does have a diagnosable personality disorder. He's been successful enough that he really doesn't need to be bothered with people who don't like him. If someone doesn't like the way he acts, he can just run over them and move on. He was also born into immense wealth, which means that there have always been people who will make him feel good about himself for their own benefit. So there was probably a lack of constructive feedback. So people who don't have that level of privilege, but who have similar personality traits may be forced to confront their behavior and make changes if they're going to survive. In your case, it's safe to assume that your boss's way of being has benefited him in some way, or he would probably be acting differently. Trying to reason with someone like this can be like beating your head against the wall, especially if you're their employee. So if there's somebody above him in the company that you work for, I would strongly suggest getting your coworkers together and either drafting a letter or calling a meeting with that person and try to inform them of how much you're struggling. Most of the time, one person is not worth bringing a whole business down. And if upper management understands that this one person is just being a tyrant and everybody else is not being as happy and productive as they could be, um, 
then they may be motivated to do something about that. Document everything that he says and does that feels off or inappropriate to you with dates and times and details. Collect any emails that contain abusive language. In most corporate environments, details like that will make a much better impression than you just whining to your boss's boss that he's being mean to you. So best case scenario here is that they put him on notice in terms of his behavior, and when he acts up, you have a little bit more power to confront him about it, as long as it's done in a professional and respectful manner. If all that fails, it might be time to look for another job. Unfortunately, sometimes the asshole wins. Um, but the most important thing for you personally is to not let yourself get beat up every day. You need to know where your boundary is with this and push back when that line gets crossed, regardless of the consequences. Too often, people just suck it up and take it for so long that it has really serious consequences for their own mental health. Your self-esteem can suffer, your confidence can suffer, and that can end up being a really hard hole to climb out of. So advocate for yourself, get your coworkers behind you, document the behavior, and see if you can take that fucker down. Okay, that's the end of our podcast today. Don't miss next week's episode with Annie LaCroix. It's going to be really fun. Uh, I'm a real live in-person therapist. If you'd like to come see me and Durango here, you can get in touch with me through durangopsychotherapy.com. You can also call me at 903-3893. If you have a situation or a question for the podcast, you can call in at 844-Durango. That's 844-387-2646. You can also email me at rowan at therapyforhumanspodcast.com. So until next week, take care of yourself and take care of each other.